1: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Friday, October 6th, and we have a break between the Wild Card Series and the Division Series. All four of the Division Series will start on Saturday, and all four of the Wild Card Games rounds were sweeps, which means we have two long days without baseball, but that's okay because it gives Matt and I time to look back and look forward, and that's obviously what we're gonna to do today. We'll start off by looking back at the wild card rounds quickly, and then jump ahead and make absolutely guaranteed to be correct predictions and projections about the division series. Matt, we just had a pretty fun wild card round that ended in four sweeps, which I gotta say was more than a little bit disappointing. We couldn't get one winner take all game three, thanks to everybody for absolutely nothing. Do you feel like before we jump into you know any of these individual games, did you learn did we learn anything? about any of these teams? Or is it just like, hey, it's two games, literally anything can happen. Is there anything about the winners you feel differently about
0: now? Not really, frankly. I mean, as you said, with two games, you can't really take any lessons from it. I think that the one thing that I, I guess I kind of noticed was that I think that the Philly-Miami series to me, I don't want to say it was telling, but it's like, we, to me, we talk about how random the postseason is. And that was one case where like, it didn't feel random at all. It was like, no, right. this is one team playing at home totally locked in playing to the, like the best of their ability and they're playing a team that's just not nearly as good as them and like normally in baseball it doesn't especially in the postseason it doesn't feel that way and this was one case where it really felt that way
1: yeah i think that's right i think when you look at what happened like if you want to talk about randomness to me randomness is Tampa Bay forgetting how to play defense like entirely forgetting how to field a baseball that that's doesn't happen and that happened over the worst possible time
0: or like the Brewers, you know, they actually hit like 300 with runners in scoring position in that series, but like on 3 of their hits the runner didn't score. It was like singles, right. single they runner on second, you know, like the Brewers actually hit weirdly. They they hit reasonably well for how little they produce. Like that's kind of random. But so like I I'm with you there.
1: Yeah, did did you know by the way that in all 4 of the of the wild card series, the team with more extra base hits won. 4 for 4. Now, it's funny though cuz one of those includes the Twins having 2 and the Bujas having 1. Right. Let's talk about the Blue Jays and Twins for a second, I guess. Royce Lewis hit two home runs. It was the only extra base <laughs> hits the Twins had. And I feel like I have been pretty optimistic uh, and friendly about the late season Twins. Like, I really like how they have rebuilt everything. And I think you saw that in these two games, right? I mean, Royce Lewis had two home runs, which was cool. They threw out two likely top five Cy Young finishers in Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray, and they were great. The bullpen was fantastic. You know, Carlos Correa got a bunch of hits, if not extra base hits, made an incredibly cool defensive play throwing a Boba we shed out at the plate. I'm super in on the Twins. Like the Twins are the American League team that has I hate momentum. They never want to use momentum. Let's say I like what they have done to change their roster at the end of the season. And while I know we have to talk about what the Blue Jays did with their pitching staff, I will point out this. The Twins were a better team. They had great pitching and timely hitting. And that's what baseball is.
0: Exactly, and I think that you know with the there was a lot of hand wringing around the decision to take out Jose Barrios when they did, and I'm not sure I agree with it, but it was clearly premeditated. I will say that, like John Schneider's got to no, answer wait, for wait, it. Wait, you don't you don't agree with the hand wringing or the decision? I um,
1: don't agree with the decision? I thought it was. I'm not, I'm not sure. I agree
0: with, yeah, I'm not sure I agree with the decision. I would say two points. One of which is it's clearly not just John Schneider. This is an This was a decision made with lots of leadership. Two, that maybe just Schneider didn't feel empowered to change course in that moment. Three, it doesn't matter. They literally did not score a run in the game.
1: <laughs> right, That's the thing. Yeah, it was, I will not defend the decision. I think it was a mistake. But also in two games, they allowed two extra base hits. Both came off Kevin Gosman. And even in that game where they took out a starter earlier than they should have, they allowed two runs against what was the highest scoring offense in the, American, in the major leagues in September. Like multiple things can be true. Bad choice. Wouldn't have done it. But if I'm ranking the top 10 reasons why the Blue Jays lost that series, that comes in, I don't know eighth right like maybe don't get picked off vlad jr maybe somebody get a big hit there's so many reasons
0: they lost that series and it's i mean the blue jays we could do a whole thing on the blue Jays. like that yeah. is a team and we've touched on this a little bit just like i don't want to say identity crisis it's just like what do you make of this team right now they feel like they may have been passed by the orioles in their own division they, the rays aren't going anywhere the yankees and, and red Sox will always be competitive matt chapman who had a weird season was like a, a superstar for a month then terrible for like four months is a free agent and gone, which I don't know, maybe is a blessing in disguise for them. I don't know. Vlad continues to have these weird seasons where the batted ball metrics don't match up with the results and he's getting closer to free agency. It's just like, I don't know what to, to make of this team. And this is like, a, I mean, it's a disappointing season coming into this year. It was like, oh, this is a team on the ascent. This is a favorite. And they just go out meekly in the... I don't think any Blue Jays fans going to reflect on this season and be like, man, that was a a magical season, that 23 season. They're going to be like, man, that was a bummer of a season.
1: Yeah, and I won't go so far as to say the window is closed because I don't think that's true. But this was maybe the best pitching staff they've had in team history. George Springer's a year older and starting his decline, I think, as you said, Chapman might be gone. There's There's a lot of questions. Farewell, Blue Jays. We'll get back to you in the winter. Talk more about the Twins in a minute. The other American League series, Rangers and Rays, this was never close. This wasn't even fun to watch for me. It wasn't entertaining. It was just the Rays didn't show up. The Rangers did. Credit to the Rangers. I'm not sure there's much more to be said. I I know Rays fans and Rays observers want to point out that they have, other than the run to the World Series in 2020, right? which, like, we're hand-waving away a World Series right now, which is ridiculous, but they're 4-14 four and 14 in their past 18 postseason games. They have lost 9 of their past 10. Is that random? 7, or in, or a, or it's seven in a
0: row, including... and
1: 7 in a row. And, like, also, this year, I don't want to look past, like, uh, they didn't have 2 or 3 of their best starting pitchers due to injury. They didn't have their best position player in Wander Franco due to being placed on administrative leave, which is uh, horrible, but nothing anybody could do about. Like, they weren't at full strength, and that's not an excuse. Like, the Rangers didn't have Jacob Degrom, right? Like these things happen. I'm just not sure this means anything more than man, that was a pretty terrible 36 hours.
0: Yeah, that feels a little bit random, but it's also just like it's it's mounting, right? It's kind of, it's getting a little bit like the Twins, right? Last year they went out meekly in Cleveland. They scored two run, one run in two games, one of which included a 15 inning game. This year they scored one run in two games. You know they were not just Franco; they were missing Luke Rayleigh, who's been good. Jose Siri was seemed compromised. Brendan Lau not available, like it's the, the narrative is building seven straight postseason games. Now they and the Blue Jays have both lost seven straight postseason games, I believe. So that's, which is not a great look, but I, that this one felt a little more random.
1: Yeah. Farewell to the Rays and uh, the Rangers are going to play the Orioles, which is going to be super exciting. I think we'll get back to that. All right. National League ones, uh, Arizona and Milwaukee. It felt to me like this one flew under the radar as much as a postseason series can, just because you have two teams that aren't like hugely national teams and also just kind of the way the schedule of the day worked out. Their games were mostly on at the same time as other games were. So I feel like of the four, this is maybe the one that people watched the least of. And I think the first thing you gotta say is tremendous credit to the Diamondbacks for beating Corbin Burns in game one. Right. Like once you learned that Brandon Woodruff was not going to be available to pitch in game two. That was that was a huge blow to milwaukee because he's out with the shoulder issue but also you know they still have amazing starting pitching oh no we have to start freddie peralta that's terrible freddie peralta is great and arizona went on the road they beat corbin burns and they beat freddie peralta and this is a team we've been talking about all year basically saying super fun super exciting they're fast they're athletic they're interesting i don't trust their pitching at all i mostly still feel that way but as we're going to get to in a second their starting pitching actually lines up really well for this upcoming round i think in a best of three, I like them. In a best of five, I like them. If they progress and get to a best of seven, I feel less good about them. But that is a
0: problem for two weeks from now, maybe. And they also didn't just like dink and dunk Burns. They hit home runs off of him, right? <laughs> they took him deep. They hit some, you know, it was three home runs. Carol, Marte, and Gabriel Moreno all hit home and Moreno hit the ball, I think, the longest home run he's ever hit in the majors. Grade. He's only had like 10, but it was an absolute missile um so like this these were not cheap runs they scored off burn so credit to them they fell behind i think in both games and came back so another credit to them and their bullpen held up so nice job by the d-backs
1: yeah i think a lot of people know who kevin ginkle is now <laughs> which like they might not have known before I, just from like a, uh, I don't want to say disinterested but like a neutral baseball observer here i like that there is more corbin carroll coming Right, the more Corbin Carroll we get on the national stage, I think is a good thing because obviously he's going to be the rookie of the year, tremendous superstar. the The final wild card series, and I think you kind of got to the heart of this already. Phillies beat the Marlins four one. Phillies beat the Marlins seven one. It never felt that close. It just the Marlins felt overmatched. Like good story, glad they got here. But going into this, everybody pointed out, you know, they got outscored by like fifty six runs. You know, like they're one eighty four games. Like good step forward, but. Not really in the class of the Phillies, especially without Yuri Perez, especially without Sandy Alcantara, especially with Luisa Rice trying to play through a bum ankle. And as you said, this one's not randomness. This, this is, yep,
0: that, that's right. The, the best team won. And if you wanted to chart a course for the Marlins win that series, it would be like Jazz Chisholm and Jorge Soler coming up big. Chisholm went 0 for 8 with four strikeouts. Soler went 1 for 8 with five strikeouts. The thing about the Marlins is, like, I just don't know what to think of them going forward, right? Like, they won, like, we're 33-14, I think, something like that, in one-run games. That's just not repeatable. We've seen this time and again. And, you know, Soler's a free agent. He could be gone. He was huge for them this year. They'll still have Chisholm in her eyes. But, like, who knows what they're going to get from Alcantara next year in terms of, you know, he, like, who knows what they're going to get from Yuri Brett? Like, it's just, like... It was a nice, like you said, step forward. It feels like a step forward, but I could, I, I could easily see a year from now us looking at the Marlins and being like, I'm not really sure that how much of a step forward that. Well, that might have been more of an aberration than yeah. a step forward. Sandy Acosta,
1: you know, we know he's an elbow injury. We don't know the details of it, but it's like if you were to think ahead to next year, 50 innings over or under on it. I'm not sure which side of that I take. I mean, that's more of a 2024 problem than a right now problem, but the Marlins in this series hit 194 with a 242 slugging, which I think says a little bit about the weakness of their lineup and a lot about the Phillies good pitching, right? Like Wheeler looked amazing. Aaron Nola was very good. The bullpen was very good. Uh, so that's it for the Wild Card round. Uh, pretty fun. Again, wish we'd had one game three, but no such luck. We're going to take a quick break and we will come back and we will look at the American League vision series. Back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrello and Matt Myers, we are in our postseason format. We are going to start by looking at the two American League Division Series Rangers and Orioles, first, Twins and Astros, second, Matt, one thing I wanted to get to quickly before we get into the specifics of the teams is that the American League and the National League have slightly different schedules, and that is actually going to matter a lot. Uh, The American League plays games one and two, both of the two series, on Saturday and Sunday. The National League gets a game off after game one. So there's a big difference here, Right. The game one starter in the NL series can start game four a normal rest. American League can't. And National League teams could have their top two starters, or at least their games one and two starters, start four of the five games if it goes five full. American League can't. That's actually really interesting. It's going to benefit, I think, the Diamondbacks a lot when we get to them in a second. But it's really something to think about because some of these teams have deep starting rotations, and some of these teams have one good starter or two, and then a prayer for the rest. So I find that fascinating between the two leagues, and not enough people are going to think about that.
0: Yeah, I think that. I mean, well, you know, we're going to start with the Rangers and Orioles here. I think this actually show is a good example because, like, the Rangers, their starting pitching is depleted to begin with the Orioles are going to get to line up their guys perfectly and get exactly what they want. Whereas like the, the Rangers are going to have to scramble a little bit. Cause they, as you mentioned, they don't have Degrom. They're not going to have Max Scherzer in the series. So their game one starter, they haven't announced yet. It might be Dane Dunning. Dane Dunning on the surface had a pretty good season, but if you look under the hood, it's not as impressive and he gets, absolutely torched by left-handed hitters this year. They hit 273,49, .349, 433 against them. The Orioles have some pretty good left-handed hitters. Eddie Rutschman, a switch hitter, Gunnar Henderson, left-handed, Anthony Santander, Ryan O'Hearn, our good friend Ryan O'Hearn. So, again, maybe it won't, may, won't be Dunning, but he'll probably pitch in the series. Point being that, like, they're a little behind the eight ball because the suddenly flush with starting pitching Orioles will get to line up their starters however they like. You
1: know what I'm really excited for in this series? Bottom of the ninth tie game all right Orioles uh it's a home game is for the joke I'm about to make uh an Oriole comes up lofts a ball to deep left field game winning home run except it's out in 29 of the 30 parks and not in Baltimore <laughs> because they moved the wall that I'm excited for that the Orioles uh, first of all camping yards is going to be an amazing atmosphere like I, I really wish I was there I think of all the parks in the first round that's the one I wish I could go to just because I think that's going to be super fun one thing I think people don't realize about what the Orioles are now. And I wrote about this a little this morning on the site MLB.com is that when you think about their pitching staff for the first half of the season, the starting pitching was not very good. It was below average and the bullpen was the best in baseball. And I think for most people, that's maybe still how they think about the Orioles. And it's the exact opposite now because when you look at the rotation, it's like Grayson Rodriguez, who got sent back to AAA in like May has been awesome for two months. Kyle Bradish has been awesome for two months. John Means is back. You know, a fourth starter if they need one. I don't know. Dean Kramer, Kyle Gibson, like the reasonable guys. The bullpen has just not been that good. And we know because Felix Bautista got hurt. Obviously, Janier Cano has, was not good in September. Danny Kaloum was not good in September. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. If they win, is it going to have to be because their starters
0: go deep to cover up the bullpen? And that's that breaks my brain to think about. The other interesting thing about the Orioles and why this matchup might actually work out well for them compared to some other possible matchups is they weren't quite like Marlins level in terms of one run games, but they had the second best record in baseball in one run games. According to uh, our colleague and Orioles super fan Alex Fast, they had the most come from behind wins in the majors this year, um, tied with the Reds. And it's hard to come from behind in the playoffs against good bullpens. However, they're playing the Rangers who do not have an especially good bullpen. So it's possible that that if that's you know, if it comes down to having to come back, they may be better suited to do it against the Rangers than if they were playing the Rays or if they advance and play the twins or the Astros. But that could be an LCS problem. They should be able to score runs against the Rangers pitching, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, interesting little subplot is later on today, and we're doing this Friday morning, Max Scherzer is expected to throw a bullpen, I believe, to see if he can come back. I, I'm not clear on whether that means for this series or for, for a potential future series. I saw a video of him throwing the other day, and like from what I could tell from 2,000 miles away, <laughs> he looked really good. And we all know he's Max Scherzer, right? It would be pretty fun to see him come back, even if he can only throw like two innings at a time. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's it remains possible.
0: It's one of those weird things if you're the Rangers coaching staff in front of It's like, it's Max Scherzer. Obviously, you want him back. But, like, the error bars on his potential performance if he gets on them. He was already kind of a feast or famine pitcher at this point in his career anyway. Like, you throw in, like, the uncertainty of, like, maybe him losing a tick or two or a little bit of spin or movement. Like, it's all over the place. So, it's just like, if he starts a game, he's Max Scherzer. So, you're like, I'm putting Max Scherzer in the game. Let's see what he can give us. But then you'd also have to be prepared for all sorts of scenarios, many of which would not necessarily be good. But as you said, that's probably an LCS problem or a World Series problem, not a DS problem. One thing I also wanted to mention about this series is we are going to see two of the most exciting young players in baseball in this series. Gunnar Henderson has obviously gotten a lot of attention. He's probably going to be AL Rookie of the Year. The 2024 AL Rookie of the Year may also be in this series, and that is... Uh, Evan Carter, who I'm pretty sure will maintain his rookie eligibility. He came up in like mid-September, right? This is similar yeah, 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 for sure. Connor Henderson last year, he was maybe the Rangers' best player in the wildcard series against the Rays. Very dynamic player. Very excited to see him on the stage. And what's interesting about him is like, and I saw J.J. Cooper of Baseball America do a breakdown on Twitter of him the other day. And he was like, hey, we at Baseball America, we rate 500 prospects every year in the draft. In the 2020 draft pandemic year it was really hard to like get a real grasp we did not have evan carter on our top 500 prospects the rangers took him 50th in the draft so it kind of shows like the 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 draft that year there was probably way wider wider like error bars just because like teams weren't able to scout players as much so if you had a feeling on a guy you could just be like hey i'm taking my chance and i do wonder if years down the road we look back on the 2020 draft there might be more of those of guys who like were not ranked on any like the major lists he wasn't on the pipeline top 200 either who ended up popping and getting drafted. So that to me, that's really interesting. And it's cool that like fans are going to start to learn about this guy um, because it seems like he could be one of the bright young, young stars in the game.
1: Very good defensive outfielder. And in, some things in small samples you can't pay too much attention to right like batting average over a couple plate appearances is meaningless but pitch velocity is super meaningful you only need like two fastballs to know one of the things that gets meaningful really fast is plate discipline and in a minimum of like whatever he had 70 plate appearances he had the lowest chase rate in all baseball in september which for a young player to be able to do that immediately that is super cool that Gives me a lot more confidence about his game going forward. Uh, we're gonna we'll save predictions on this one until until the end. We'll get through all four of these first. The other American League series. This one should be fun. Twins and Astros, which everybody is talking about because it's the reunion of Dallas Keuchel, who is on the Twins injured list. No, Carlos Correa. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I thought you were going to say Christian Basquez. Uh I was actually talking about Ryan Presley. Ryan <laughs> Presley was the correct answer. Um, I like I said earlier in the show. I've I've spent a lot of time over the last couple weeks saying how into the Twins I am. I'm very much into what the Twins are doing. They've rebuilt their bullpen. They have two ace-level starting pitchers at the top of the rotation in Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez. By the way, the Lopez Arise trade a year later, win-win, right? Like, neither team undoes that. Neither team probably makes the playoffs without that trade, I I think. That's actually really cool to think about. The question for the Twins is this. Their game one starter at this very moment remains a little bit unclear. Lopez is going to start game two. Sonny Gray is going to start game three. So you might think Joe Ryan would start game one, possibly true, but his second half was not great. We know part of that was he pitched through injury and he was better after that, but he's still pretty homer prone, which is not what you want against the Astros offense. So there's some talk that game one might be more of like a belly over hint maeda combination situation. It's, it's not clear. So that's a question mark. Meanwhile, the Astros have lined up Justin Verlander. For Humber Valdez. that's going to be pretty cool. I, I, I'm i fascinated to see who they go with in game one. Where are you going on that?
0: I'm I'm a big Joe Ryan guy. I think that he's sort of solidified things a little bit down the stretch, and he he, came, he was amazing in the first couple months of the season, as you said, tried to pitch through in, injury, got hit really hard, had a, actually a pretty big reverse split this year, which I think is kind of interesting, where ready's hit him much harder than lefties. But, like, I mean, the underlying numbers are really good. His expected ERA is better than Sonny Gray's this year, which I don't think most people would realize – He's got like a thirty percent strikeout rate, like a five percent walk rate. A pitcher like that, I, I think I would I don't even want to say roll the dice because I don't really think it's rolling the dice. I think it might be outsmarting her. I mean, you could you can have him start and have a short leash, knowing that you have Lopez and Gray for the following games where you can maybe use your long man in that in that in that game one. That's where I come, come at it from. What about you?
1: I don't think I start Joe Ryan. I don't think I do. I think I think you mix and match. I think you maybe try to mess with their platoon situations. I mean, one thing that we're gonna talk about a lot, I, I don't have a good answer for this right now is um the astros are very good on the road and very bad at home this year which i think we broke down a couple weeks ago and the series starts in minnesota games one and two in minnesota and the astros were 21 no, games games, games, over one are,
0: games one and two are in houston in houston
1: okay well, let's see i was uh, you know what houston i said the bye. got it right. I, I got that backwards because i think of minnesota as being a better team that's how like into the twins i am and the astros backed their way into the wild card so you know what you're right Ignore me, but that will matter when the series flips and it'll maybe Astros now have the home field disadvantage. The twins have the advantage in game one and two. That kind of goes back to the Joe Ryan thing. Like I don't, I don't want a Homer prone guy with the Crawford boxes right there in left field. The other thing uh, to think about here. I'm not sure the Twins are necessarily the right team to take advantage of this, but Astros fans are going to be very angsty about Dusty Baker's lineup decisions, right? No no Astros fan wants to see Martin Maldonado behind the plate. They want to see Yainer Diaz, 23 home runs, pretty good defensive catcher. Maldonado has not hit in like 25 years. That's not going to happen. The pitchers love Maldonado. Dusty loves Maldonado. We know there are things we can't quantify about catchers, so that's fine. Did you know that uh, the last weekend of the season, Maldonado threw out a base stealer and it was the first one in two months? Which, if you look at this, and so I, I did, I dug into this a little bit. It's actually not about the catchers, it's about the pitchers. So, you know, you can look at all the StatCast metrics. When the on steal attempts, when the pitch is thrown and the ball reaches the catcher, Astros pitchers allow the largest leads in all of baseball, they do a horrible job. At preventing base runners. And I'm very curious to see because Minnesota's not a huge base stealing team. You know, especially Buxton's not gonna play. Willie Castro, I guess, is their main base stealer, but you know, he's not gonna start. I don't know if they can take advantage of that. But that that's something I'm gonna be watching for closely because Astros pitchers are really bad at this.
0: Yeah, and it's this is probably this is a I mean, I don't know if silver lining is the right word for the Astros, but I yeah, the Twins are just not well positioned to take advantage of this at all. So we I'm I am interested to see if they go fall behind O one or O two if we do get Diaz in the lineup. But you're right. I think that like it's almost like it almost it doesn't matter. Like Dusty clearly prefers Maldonado. Even last year, Maldonado played. He didn't hit, and they won the World Series. So I think that like, it's not as if he's really holding them back, you know, that much. Maybe they would be better with Diaz. Like it's just it almost feels like pointless to argue at this point, but because it's pretty clearly they put a ton of value on the intangibles that Maldonado brings.
1: Yeah. Uh, Other unknowns, I think, about the series, will Michael Brantley uh, play and start and be healthy enough to hit? Because he's obviously a big part of their lineup when he is available, which has been somewhat rare. And the Astros pitching staff is very different than it was last year, right? The Astros pitching staff last year was overwhelmingly dominant, and I just don't feel that way about it this year. It's a little thinner. You know, Brian Abreu has been great. Hector Neris has been great, but it's it's not as dominant. I actually think top to bottom, I will take the Twins pitching over the
0: Astros pitching. Um, I think that's probably right, partially, because also, like, Favre Valdez had a bit of an uneven year and has been a little less reliable. Rafael Montero did come – I mean, he was awful for, like, the first three or four months of the season. Over the last couple months, he was much better. So I think that he's – you know, when you think of, like, storylines to – you know, we talk about this all the time of, like, in the playoffs, sometimes full season stats don't tell full story, especially with a reliever if they, like, had some bad luck or made some adjustments. Like, while well, you also don't want to put necessarily too much stock in the last six weeks or the last eight weeks of the season – I also don't think we should look at Rafael Montero's season line and be like, oh, this guy's a five ERA pitcher. You can't pitch him. I think that like, yeah, Breu and Narius are like their top two guys, but I think we're going to see Montero in high leverage. I'm oh, sorry. I should and not to mention Ryan Presley. I think we're going to see Montero in high leverage spots, and I don't think that's unreasonable.
1: I think that's fair. All right, we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the National League Division Series. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. We're going to move into the pair of National League Division Series, which will start on Saturday. And we will start with Diamondbacks and Dodgers, which I think on paper sounds like a tremendous mismatch, but I I think it's actually going to be a little bit closer than that. And this kind of goes back to what I said before about the way the National League Division Series lines up with days off. Right, So there is going to be a day off after Game 1. There's going to be a day off after Game 2. And if the series goes a full five, there's a a day off after Game 4 as well, that is a huge deal for Arizona, I think, because they're going to have Merrill Kelly starting Game One, Zach Gallen starting Game Two. And they could also have those guys starting game four and five, which is a big deal because they have two very good starting pitchers. And I'm not sure they have a single other starting pitcher I trust to start a playoff game. Like it is a tremendous gap between them and, you know, Brendan Fott or whoever else they want to throw. So I think if it didn't work out this way, I would give the Diamondbacks like no chance. But the fact that it did, and the fact that the Dodgers have almost no starting rotation, as we'll talk about in a second, is a pretty big advantage for Arizona here. This is the only like path to victory I I think I would have seen for them.
0: Honestly, it's not just the starting pitching that that I think Arizona will benefit from. They don't have nearly the bullpen depth of the Dodgers, but with the extra day off, like they can take advantage of that, right? Like Kevin Ginkle can pitch with rest in games one, two, and three, right? Like that's that's pretty significant for a team that doesn't really have that many relievers they can rely on. Whereas the Dodgers have like seven guys they rely on. Those extra day offs like don't actually help them that much because they would actually be better they' would be better off if the series was didn't have all be better off if they didn't have all these days off
1: and i'm not sure I, I'm not sure I agree with you on that I know where you're going with the starting pitching but the fact that the Dodgers do not have a starting rotation, I think they're going to need the days off because they're going to have to roll out eight guys every night right so think about this you're going to start Kershaw in game one and obviously Kershaw is a legend but he he's not capital letter Clayton Kershaw right now. he's He has not completed six innings or thrown 90 pitches in a game since June because he's trying to get past the shoulder issue. The Dodgers rotation is so depleted. Um, I looked this up and I wrote about this yesterday. So since the majors went to six divisions in 1995, right? There have been 168 division winners and 167 of those had at least one starter make 25 starts. And then there's the mm-hmm. shares. Like, that's how much of a mess they are. Injuries. And Urias is out on administrative leave. And they're just, they have one of their opening day starting five in the rotation. And that's Kershaw. And he's not whole. So it's going to be like Kershaw won for five innings. Rookie Bobby Miller in game two. And he's been very good, but, you know, he is a rookie and missed the beginning of the year with shoulder issues. And then game three, I mean, throw your hands up. I don't know. Ryan Pepio, Lance Lynn, Emmett Sheehan. I think the Dodgers will need that day's off almost as much because. I don't see how any of these games Dave Roberts gets through without at least six pitchers.
0: That's probably right. That's a, that's a that's a fair point. One one subplot I wanted to to point out and this is another like, you know, kind of breaking down these teams, another thing of like the fallacy of looking at full season stats. You know, we talked a little bit about with the, with the, the Astros being bad at holding runners. Well, I was looking at the I was looking at all the teams frankly because you know, the expectation is that stolen bases will play a bigger role in this postseason than they have in recent postseasons because of the new rules. We didn't see that in the wild card round, but I think we'll probably start to see it now. And if you look full season stats, oh, the the Diamondbacks were second in the majors in stolen bases and the Dodgers were terrible at holding runners this year. So, like, the, the the Dodgers allowed the fifth most steals in baseball. So it's like, oh, the, the D-backs should steal. They're going to they need to call out runs. Like, this is this is an advantage the D-backs should take advantage of. But then again, you look closer, and the Dodgers pitchers who were most abused on, on the by base runners were Noah Syndergaard who, and uh, Phil Bickford, neither of whom are on the team anymore. Stolen bases, base stealers were 31 for 32 against Bickford and Syndergaard when they were the Dodgers this year. So, like... You can throw that out the window. Kirsch obviously has always been very good at holding runners. There's still some guys in the team that are not good at holding runners. Shelby Miller and Bobby, Bobby Miller have not been good at holding runners. But, like, it's one of those things where if you look at full season stats, it'll tell you one story. If you look at sort of the teams that are on the field now, it probably tells you a different story and something that, I, that I'm definitely watching in that series. Because, obviously, with Corbin Carroll and a couple other guys in that team, they can run. But I'm not really sure that it's really that much of an advantage. I, I think that's right.
1: And another subplot here is the Diamondbacks catcher, Gabriel Moreno, who's the best probably throwing catcher in baseball. We don't know if he's going to play, suffered what looked like a head injury in the last series. That's a big deal because he's one of their best hitters uh, in the second half. We saw the big home run and his backups are not anywhere near him. Here's the narrative of this series, though. If the Dodgers lose, what's going to happen is, let's say, Lance Lynn will throw like four innings, shutout innings, and get removed because he's not very good anymore and they don't want him to go deep. And everybody will get mad at Dave Roberts for taking out a pitcher who's dealing and meanwhile, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts will go like one for 17. And nobody will talk about that. They'll just talk about why did Dave Roberts take out the pitcher he was doing. That's the way this always goes. All right, our last series. Save this one for the last because I think it's going to be the best one. Phillies and Braves. Yes, a rematch. This one's going to be super fun. The Braves obviously uh, have been waiting for the Phillies. And uh, the schedule here is a big deal, too, because the Phillies, I think, are pretty well set. You can get Wheeler and Nola. I should, I should back that up. We don't know what's going to happen in the sense that we don't know who's going to start for the Braves, right? We know Spencer, Spencer Strider starts game one. We think Max Freed will start in game two because he has a blister issue. It's it's so hard to know if that's going to like pop up in his first inning and then they're screwed. But if he's healthy and if he stays healthy, you can get Strider and Freed four out of the five starts, which would be a big advantage. I just don't know how much I trust that to happen. You may remember such things as Phillies, Braves in the NLDS one year ago where Spencer Strider tried to pitch coming back from an oblique injury and it didn't go well, and Max Fried was sick and it didn't go well, and the Phillies won. I have a lot of uncertainty about the Atlanta rotation here. That's my biggest issue. Otherwise, their lineup is like all-time best ever.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I think Ranger Suarez is going to start, And just to give some context on that, like I think Ranger Suarez is going to start game one for for the Phillies, and I was looking like, what kind of platoon splits do the Braves have? And I was like, oh, wow, they they, they have a 131 weighted runs created plus against lefties, by far the best in baseball this year. Are you really sure you should, should be pitching Ranger Suarez instead of Taiwan Walker? Well, the Braves had a 123 weighted runs created plus against right-handed pitchers, also the best in Major League Baseball. So I'm not really sure there's a good answer here in terms of like which like middle-of-the-pack lefty versus middle-of-the-pack righty should I throw in game one. So I I can see why they would... Figure, like, you know, maybe a little more faith in Suarez from pitching well for them in the postseason last year that they would decide to to roll the dice with him in game one. And as you mentioned, the schedule works in their favor because they're going to be able to, they're guaranteed to have Wheeler and Nola pitch in the series on full rest in games two and games three. And that's significant. And, you know, like, vibes are worth. The Phillies have good vibes right now and i think they're questions about the braves like you know they're pitching their bullpen in the last two months of the season was 22nd in the majors in fangraph's war the phillies were third in that time span and that was with barely anything from orion kirkering who is like maybe like the biggest x factor in this series david Lather did a really good piece on him on MLB.com, just showing how like the the horizontal break on a sweeper is like basically out of this world so I'm not saying I'm picking the Phillies, we'll, we'll get to that, but like I think this is, it. Almost in some ways, I feel more evenly matched about this series this year than last year, even though the difference between them in the regular seasons was 14 games last year and it's 14 games this year, but I feel it feels closer to me this year. And maybe some of that is, again, just like the Phillies making the World Series last year and having this real, you could tell they have this real confidence in the postseason, and maybe they won't look quite as confident if they're playing on the road as compared to Citizens Bank Park, but... This is definitely the juiciest matchup on paper as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, in September, Rysel Iglesias, uh, the Braves closer, had the weakest strikeout rate month of his entire career, which could that be a fluke? Sure. I guess the way I look at it is we agree that Phillies pitching is better than the Braves pitching. We agree the Braves lineup is better than the Phillies lineup. I just feel like the gap there is maybe larger in pitching. Believe it or not. I want to at least point out what happened with Sean Murphy. He had a thousand OPS at the all-star break. And since the break, he's at 159 with a 585 OPS. I don't know what happened there, but if he's the first half Murphy, that's huge. And if he's not, then that's like a black hole in the lineup. Um, I guess it's predictions time. Let's just start with this one. Braves and Phillies. I have the Phillies in five. I think this one's going to go the distance, but I just, I feel so much better about the Phillies bullpen. Uh, than the Braves bullpen. Where I will be proven wrong is if fried and Strider do start all four games and pitch well. I just don't know what to make him Max fried he's, he's missed time this year with a shoulder and a hamstring and now a blister. I I have a lot of questions about that. Morton's unavailable. Kyle Wright's in the bullpen. Bryce Elder pitched very poorly in the second half. It comes That is the entire series to me. I have so much uncertainty about that. Phillies in five.
0: I, I'm going full recency bias on this one. I've got Phillies in four. I think that like, because I think the wheels could fall... I think the wheels could fall off for the Braves. I think there's a lot of you know there's a lot of hype around them. This is one of those where no outcome would surprise me. Like this is not Phillies Marlins to be clear. No. <laughs> um, no. So when I make picks, I kind of like to just kind of little science, little vibes, just throw it out there. So I'll go Phillies in four. Uh, Dodgers and
1: Diamondbacks. I like the way, as I said, the Diamondbacks pitching is set up. I don't trust the Dodgers pitching in the sense that I don't trust them to pitch traditionally. doesn't mean they don't have a ton of good arms, and I think that's what's going to happen. You're going to have all these guys getting eight outs at a time. You still have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman at top of the lineup. Dodgers in four. I think the Diamondbacks have made a huge step forward this year. I think a lot of it's sustainable in some sense, but they never play well in Dodger Stadium ever. And
0: I think the Dodgers are too good to lose right now. I've got Dodgers in four as well. Agree with most of what you said. I mean, the Diamondbacks, for a team not always right about everything, wrong about a lot of things. We were both on the bandwagon preseason of like, hey, this could be a sleeper team. So I'm excited that they kind of like lived up to that. One thing I will say about the D-backs that I think, you know, Corbin Carroll gets a ton of attention as he rightly should. Their trio, their top trio of position players, like Ketel Marte is a really good player. Christian Walker is a really good player. I think that like it's, there's this vibe like, oh, this is kind of anonymous. No, it's like these are those are three like really good players who are in the, the top tier at their respective positions. And I think that kind of gets overlooked a little bit when people talk about the the diamondbacks. All right, twins and astros. I I cannot say enough good things about the twins.
1: I've only said good things about the twins kind of endlessly. I think you know how I feel about the twins right now. The second half twins are much different than the first half twins. The highest scoring lineup in the majors in September, their bullpen was tied for the highest strikeout rate in September. And Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray atop the rotation are each extremely good. The Astros are obviously very good too. This one, I think I'm going twins in five. And as you said a minute ago, it's like part science and part vibes. I like the Twins as a baseball team more than I have in many years. I respect the Astros, but I just I want to see the Twins. I have seen enough Houston Astros playoff runs over the last like, half decade. I want someone new. Give me like Royce Lewis in the World Series.
0: Okay, so Twins in five. Yeah, I'm the same, basically, and I feel like if I known we were probably going to end up with all the same picks, maybe I would have just like yeah. mixed it up, just 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 for fun. But we had, uh, so the listeners know we made these picks separately. We we went you know into quarantine, made sure we didn't talk about them. That's the scientific process we go through, and it just so happens we seem to be making all the all the same picks. But yeah, some of this is just like the desire to see new blood in the ALCS, and I would like to see some new blood in the ALCS, and I think that Twins fans are are thirsty for it i think that actually is a, if they make the i think target field in the ds is going to be exciting if they make the alcs which they have not done since 2002 the end at the end of the broadcast the other day when they showed the final out the last time the twins won a playoff series and it was every day eddie guardado on the mound and denny hawking catching a foul pop-up it was like a real just like a shot of the injection of my youth into it. it was it was fantastic Yeah, especially since any of those old footage that's not in HD
1: kind of looks like it was from 1974. (laughs) So it really felt like it was a long time ago. And then I guess we are going to align on our last one too, because we stink. We're both picking the Orioles in the Texas Baltimore one. That is, uh, it's pretty much exactly what I just said about the Twins, right? I think the Orioles are a very good team but I want to see Gunnar Henderson and I want to see Adley Rutschman and I want to see the Homer hose and I want to see all of it progressing into the next round. No disrespect to the Rangers. Uh, The the Rangers obviously are an incredible story and like Seager and Simeon, the Rangers are great. I think it's going to be a good series and a closed series. I have a lot of questions about the Rangers pitching staff, especially in the bullpen. I really don't trust their bullpen. I just think, I think I like what the Orioles have going on here. Orioles in
0: four. I've got the Orioles in five. We but you know, <laughs> let me ask you, how about this which of these series do you feel most confident in in like what you think the result will be and which do you feel least confident in what the result will be that's a great question i don't
1: have a good answer because you get this far i mean these are eight pretty good teams and in a best of five you know again anything can happen which one do i feel the most confident in dodgers i think but that just feels like too much disrespect for the diamondbacks with the pitching staff lined up
0: i don't that's my answer i don't like
1: my answer what's your answer
0: i think the talent gap is the widest in dodgers d-back so i think that's probably the one i feel most i mean i'd still give you know still probably give arizona a 30 40 percent chance of winning this series but i think the talent that's where the talent gap's widest So i'd probably feel the the strongest there and even though i picked the phillies in four i think that's the biggest to me that's the the, the one that's most who knows which nah, is what makes I, it fun I,
1: i did our phillies braves position by position breakdown for the site and i at the end i said super close very tight if i have to pick which i don't want to i'll pick phillies in five basically saying it's a coin flip and um now braves fans think i'm biased for that because i didn't pick a team but like it is i don't want to say a coin flip i don't want to say the players don't have anything to say about it of course they do but these are really good teams they're playoff teams it's a best of five. I can't wait to see what happens. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or having suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. And thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.